This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, anything and everything from Walt Disney Productions all the way up to the present-day films in theaters. We talk about it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you are about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find the show notes for this very show. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews and reviews of Disney shorts and animated features and full-length features going all the way back to 1922. So make sure you go and check all that content out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me as always, I have our fine film experts. First of all, a man who is neither Charlie nor the Angel, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. Yeah, but well, my halo's broken. I've got wings. Fair enough. Fair enough. And a long, flowy robe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of comfort room. Oh, yeah, for sure. Totally. Also joining us from all over the interwebs, uh, Miss Rachel Kolb, who you can find all kinds of great reviews if you follow her on Twitter or on Facebook. Make sure you read all of her stuff. What What's the latest thing they can read from you, Rachel? Uh, latest thing they can read from me, um, I have a new Playbill throwback, uh, a look at the 2009 revival of Hair on Broadway, which is over on LudisNYC.com. There you go. And you're on 752 other websites. Oh, yes. Just to name a few real quick, uh, JustPressPlay.net, UpRocks.com, and SoundOnSite.org. Amongst many, but those are primary, right? That's yes, right. yes. Those are, those are pretty much primary. Yep. Okay. Uh, and, of course, our producer, the person who uh, makes things run on time around here, who keeps us going and makes sure that we are taking care of things, is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter, at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. All right. So, today, tonight, this evening, whenever it is that you are listening, we are talking about the 1973 Disney film Charlie and the Angel. Uh, this is Fred McMurray's last film for Disney and one of his final films overall. It This is a, I, I don't know, would you guys call this a star studded production? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, Fred McMurray, Cloris Leachman is in this one. Harry Morgan, who you probably know but don't recognize. Colonel Potter from MASH for those MASH fans. Uh, Kurt Russell is in this. And Kevin Corcoran, the little boy. Yeah. Our, our buddy. Yeah, Kyle. he's in here. Um, the Gomer Pyle, right? Gomer Pyle was one of the piles. Yes. Not, not, not Gomer. Not Gomer. Goober. Goober. Goober from the Andy Griffith show. Yes. 
Um, yeah, and there's lots of people in here. Not to mention Ed Begley Jr. That's right, for about yep. five seconds. Yes. <laughs> so this is this is uh, this is a movie, and it's based on a book called The Golden Evenings of Summer uh, that was released in 1971, r- written by Will Stanton. I tried to find information on this book and could not. Yeah, um, from what I read of uh, user reviews of the book, the book and the movie really don't have a whole lot to do with each other. Um, apparently, the book doesn't even have an angel in it, so that's just something they made up for the movie. Interesting. Yeah. The book is, by the way, online described as a story of youth life and the opportunities for making money during Prohibition. Also interesting. <laughs> well, Will Stanton is one of the all-time classic American writers, right? I mean, he is famous for a zillion magazine articles in about a zillion magazines. Gotcha. So probably, he's the Rachel Kolb of his day. That's probably <laughs> Yeah. So the film is uh, directed by Vincent McKevity. Like we said, stars Fred McMurray. He is the main character, and it is the story of... Really quick, why we picked this? Because, again, we had that lovely poll, and Fred McMurray was one of the people voted. Again, he did not win. No, he did not. So, again, we, 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 we took out one of his movies, and we said, we're putting it in. Fair enough. Fair. Yes, so this is, like we said, one of Fred McMurray's final roles with Disney. It was, best I can tell, not a hugely successful film. I'll be honest, when Cheryl put it on the list, I had never heard of this before. I'd seen it, and I remembered it exactly how I thought of it when I was a kid. Is there's a, As a kid, I thought there was about 10 to 15 minutes of this that was really cool, and it was a car chase, and that's pretty much true. Watching it as an adult. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would think you're right. Mm-hmm. Well, the New York Times actually agreed with you that they said um, that the the best part of it is the chase. Um, and they said the rest until that chase is pretty much milk and crackers. <laughs> Soggy milk and crackers, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that apparently it was originally attached to Cinderella somehow. So um, maybe. Uh, it, was, it was released. The double, the feature, double feature. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. But it's a good car chase. It is a good car chase. And I think that's probably all we have to say about this film, so we'll wrap it up there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just one of those that uh, it, we were talking shortly before the before we started recording. Like, I took, you know, we all take notes when we, when we uh, watch the films, as you guys are probably aware. And I told these guys about midway through the film, I was, I, I just wrote in my notes, I quit because there's nothing to take notes about, really. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's a very strange story in that, at least to me, so the, 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 the idea of the story is that Fred McMurray's character, Charlie, uh, is a workaholic dad in the 1930s, uh, 1933 especially. Specifically, I believe. And he is visited by an angel who tells him he's going to die. And he manages to plead with the angel for more time and to change his ways. So sort of a Christmas carol sort of a thing. And eventually, you know, spoilers, it all works out in the end. And he, wait, and, wait, here's another one. He has to also save the farm. 
Let's not forget that one. That that's true. That's true. But where I was going with that is he he doesn't actually really change that much. He, he no. doesn't come off as a bad guy to begin with. Right. <laughs> his kids are really not that great. Especially his sons, who are planning to sing Father's Day song to another dad. <laughs> yeah. Well, but in, in, in the kids' defense, and all we've been told is that, you know, the kids spend... He doesn't spend. All, he spends all the time in his shop. But you, you can't say someone's a bad person and not show it, and then expect us to just roll with the fact that he's a bad person when he's constantly, you know, a good person in the movie. Yeah. Well, my my notes on this were mainly listing other plots that this movie kind of rips off. Which the ones the yeah. ones that I caught were it's a wonderful life because this is basically it's a wonderful life with Fred McMurray. And then Mary Poppins because he won't make a kite with his kids. And Bedazzled because this plot is basically Bedazzled except it's Disney so they're not going to pair him up with the devil so they have to pair him up with an angel instead. And then Meet Me in St. Louis because the family just all wants to go to the state fair. And also, let's have, yeah, Carousel Progress too because there's the state fair. (laughs) We have a daughter and a son. We have a, we we actually have two children there. <laughs> yes. Let, let's also discuss that this is brought to you by the same fine creative team that brought us Million Dollar Duck. Yes, yes, I had notes about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate that that they were uh, allowed to do two films, really. Yeah, well, the screenwriter. This is the only other um, Disney movie that that he wrote a script for. The only other one was Million Dollar Duck. Enough said. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, Vincent McKevity is, you know, he made plenty of other stuff, so you can't. Although he's like Super Dad and the strongest man in the world and stuff like that. But yeah, and a whole lot of TV. <laughs> and the Herbie sequels. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, like this. This movie is like you're saying. Uh, it's a, it's a mishmash of other things. There's nothing unique and in, in you know special about it. Yeah. At least not to me. Well, the thing that is so weird to me, they keep saying throughout the movie, oh, there's a depression going on. And I think that the reason why they keep having that line in there is that like, some of the costumes look like they could be from the 1930s. But so much of this movie looks and feels like it's not set in the 1930s. Aside from like a few costumes in the cars. Yeah, you're right. The production value is not exactly great. Yeah. Can I also let's? I want some false advertising here, when because when you go up to rent this, you don't see Fred McMurray and Cloris Leachman like like the DVD yes. cover is. You <laughs> see Kurt Russell in front of a car. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Walt, and that's false enough, advertising. Well, Walt, it's Walt advertising actually. I mean, Walt loved Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's true. Yes, we yes we know that one. So. Yeah, and at that time, Russell's star would have been on the rise, and McMurray would have been on his way out. Unfortunately, yeah. so. Da, 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 da. It, it's, it's an interesting piece. So let's let's dive in. Unless unless you guys had any huge <laughs> notes on the production that I have missed. No. Okay. I I just had one quick note about Cloris Leachman. Uh, first, she was nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie, um, which is interesting. Ow. 
<laughs> yes. Must not um, be a lot of competition that year. <laughs> I, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Which Despite is the fact... Not to degrade Gloris Leachman, it's just she doesn't do much in the movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's she's a really funny actress, but yeah, she really doesn't have much to do here. Like, well, for one, she's a Phineas and Ferb connection because she's Hein Doofenshmirtz's mother. Um, she's a Muppets connection both for the movie and for the original TV show. And she's also a Broadway connection with South Pacific and the Crucible, Crucible on Broadway. So just and very also, and, um An Iron Giant as well. So that, that yes. puts her in the... In the Pixar kind of thing because Iron Giant, Brad Bird, and stuff was involved with that stuff. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, she gets to do her eye thing numerous times in this movie, so that's probably the most <laughs> enjoyable thing. <laughs> Good point. So this is this movie opens with with Fred McMurray, right? Uh, he is. This shop owner, Charlie Appleby, he owns a hardware store, and the movie opens with him and basically this tableau of him and his family. Uh, so he has two boys whose names I did not bother to learn. It took me a while to figure them out, and I can't remember them now. Like, like my notes just kept referring to them as a small boy and the big boy until finally yeah. I caught on. I think one of them is Rupert, and I can't remember the other one, but I want to say maybe it's Wiley. Willie, yeah. Willie, okay. Willie. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. But it's not like they get referred to by name a lot in the film. So don't think we're being crude here, guys. Like, it's just... And Willie does have um, a connection as well. Um, he is Vincent Van Patten. Yeah, Dick Van Patten's son. Dick Van Patten's son. There you go. Dick Van Patten, who appeared in a lot of Kurt Russell movies. But not this one, oddly. <laughs> yeah, but not this one, correct. <laughs> but, yeah. So we get the this, this scene of, of Charlie... And, and we get established with his family, right? So Cloris Leachman is his wife, Nettie. And the whole thing is set during the Great Depression. Although, as Rachel notes, it looks a lot like 1973. Yeah, it's a very affluent Great Depression. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And so, yeah, there's... The, it's very strange because at one point in the movie, and I'm, we're sk- I'm skipping ahead for a second, there's a there's a run on the bank in the movie, and I was going, why are they doing that in the 70s? <laughs> 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 and then I had, oh, this is supposed to be 1933, and there's supposed to be a run on the bank because of the Depression, but like even half the people in that scene are dressed in 70s clothes. Yep. Yeah. So... That doesn't work real well. But anyway, so he's got Cloris Leachman that he's married to that they their relationship isn't exactly great. Uh, she is a stay-at-home mother. She, uh, he works uh, in the – owns the hardware store, and she wants to go to the Chicago World's Fair. Like she wants to go on a trip. First of all, they don't get to go on any trips apparently. Uh, and then his sons really just want him to do stuff with them. Uh, we mentioned the kite earlier, but you know they want him to take him to the movies or whatever, uh, and he doesn't do that either. And then he has a daughter, Leonora, who's played by Kathleen Cody, who we don't really see a whole lot in the movie. Nope. But, nope. but if I had to pick somebody who behaves poorly in the whole film, it would be her. Yeah. yeah, she was definitely not a role model for your children. No. <laughs> <laughs> She's the, 
the same girl from Super Dad, right? Is she? I think she might be. I think you yeah. might be about that. Yeah, uh, she. Well, I mean, we'll talk later about what she does, but pretty much she stays out all night and dates boys and like think like I don't know. Some of her behavior would I think still be scandalous today. <laughs> yep. And it's eighty years later than where the movie's set. Yes, and just to confirm, yes, she is the girl from Superdad, and she was also in Snowball Express. So, uh-huh. good choices. I still kind of like Snowball Express. Yeah, it's better than this. <laughs> <laughs> I also did find out that the um, the uh, the uh, the son, um, like like his brother, became more in the industry. He is a sound effect artist. He became a sound effect artist. Oh, okay, cool. So Rupert. Also kept along in the other in his career. Yeah. So we get we get most of this information uh, with the family sitting down at dinner, right? And and Charlie Fred McMurray's character is saying, "No, we're not going on a trip," or "No, we're not going to the movies," and "No, Leonora, you can't go out with this guy." Um, Leonora has two suitors, which sounds like a lifetime movie, but that's what this is. Uh, she has Kurt Russell's character named Ray, and then another guy. And she has set up a date with both of them at the same time, which is bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is like sitcom plot line right here. Yes. And and I also want to want to name Ed Begley's character because this is just this is a name right here. It's okay. Derwood Mosby. <laughs> Interesting. Yep. I wonder if he bears any relation to the guy who would eventually run the. Uh, uh, what's it called? The the hotel on the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Wasn't his name Mosby as well? Yes. <laughs> but I, th- or... I, I think there's a skin tone issue there. <laughs> ah, I see. Okay. Well, there's there's also Ted Mosby of How I Met Your Mother. From How I Met Your Mother, yes, of course. Yep. Isn't there also Reverend Mosby in the um, Parentry movies? I believe you may be correct about that. It's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> Listing our favorite Mosby's is actually better than talking about this film. (laughs) (laughs) So when Charlie goes to work the next day, he is in his hardware store. And the, I guess you'd call it the inciting incident is that a sledgehammer falls off the wall, nearly hits him and crashes through one of the display cases, the glass display case. And then he gets out into his car and his car starts acting up like and forcing him into a wreck, basically. Uh, and he manages to avoid that. And while he's examining the car, he looks up and sitting on his hood is Colonel Potter from MASH. Not yep. yet. Technically, he hasn't been a MASH yet. F- fair enough. <laughs> I'm just For the listeners, that's who he's sitting on his hood. <laughs> So it's Harry Morgan, the actor, uh, is playing the angel named Roy, because what else would you name an angel? Well, he he doesn't yet remember that he's called Roy. Yeah, that's nope. true. He find, we find that out later. And he delivers the news to Charlie that he is supposed to die. Yeah, those were attempts to kill him. Well, he's supposed yes. to already be dead. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Apparently, the Grim Reaper is uh, getting a little old and has lost a step because he's missed yeah. Charlie like three times here. Well, it's kind of like the opening of uh, Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby where he keeps like almost dying 
like he's supposed to fall down an elevator shaft or he's supposed to have this thing fall on him and um, it just keeps missing him by a split second. Right. Of course, overall, looking at the movie, my opinion is, was he really telling the truth about the dying thing or was that just to motivate Charlie to change? See, we never actually learned that. I so think he was you- telling the truth. I was going to say, Todd, under this notion, is he just an angel with too much time on his hands? Uh, maybe he's an angel who's assigned to change the guy's life. I would argue that we all have too much time on our hands because we watch this. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also a valid point. Not only do we watch it, that we're sitting here and thinking of this, this scenario. Well, no, I mean, but my, my point is is that Charlie didn't believe in wishes, but everybody else made a wish, and everybody else's wish kind of sort of comes true. That's true. That's a good point. Right? And so was the real reason that that Roy was there was to grant everybody else's wishes and change Charlie Charlie because of it, because that was required to fulfill everybody else's wishes? Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. But, of course, there's not a lot told to us about what's going on in this movie so you just have to make stuff up anyway so that is that is the god's honest truth right there yeah because there's a lot of stuff here that you just go wait what (laughs) (laughs) and so much happens off camera that you just expected to know well especially leonora her whole plot (laughs) happens off camera as does the gangster plot until the the majority of it yeah yeah you're right I also wanted to point out, since we're at, at the first scene with the shop, um, did anyone notice the abundance of NRA signs in this movie? Because no. just about every business in this movie has an NRA sign like prominently displayed on their front window. I'm not making any statement about that, but I just, like, I noticed it, and I never noticed stuff like that in did, movies. Particularly did they ever say where era. it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be Midwest. That's as much description as we get. Yeah, okay. somewhere near Chicago, I would assume. <laughs> yeah. All right, because it's close enough to Chicago. You're right. I forgot. It's only like a few hours driving or something like that. They say that. Yeah, that, that's as much as I've got, for sure. Uh, yeah, so Harry Morgan's character, Roy, fills in Charlie the, on the whole deal. Which is, he's supposed to die, and Charlie appeals for more time. He's like, no, I've got so much to do, you know, I've got my family, et cetera, et cetera. And Harry says, well, you haven't really done much with them, you know, now. And he goes through a whole laundry list of, like, it doesn't cost anything to look at a sunset or to do, you know, nice things for your family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, basically making the the Christmas Carol point or the It's a Wonderful Life point, depending on which one you relate it to the most – and so Charlie pleads for more time, and Harry says, well, since you didn't die, there's obviously some sort of an error. I'm going to go back upstairs and see if I can sort this out. So you're basically you're living on borrowed time. Yes, and then he literally walks up air stairs. Yep. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. And so Charlie, of course, is shaken up by this and decides to go home and start getting things in order. Uh, what he thinks is he is getting things in order for him to die. So he's trying to create moments with his family around that. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's trying to take 
create memories, I guess, is probably what he's trying to do. It's not really clear, really, what he wants to do. That would be correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, because not much is told as to what's going on in this movie. Right. And I, I, I skipped over because before all this, I think it's before all of this happens, um, there's a whole sequence where the boys are trying to make a kite Yes. <laughs> to the radio <laughs> with glue and a dog. I have a question, right? Did your children watch this? I hope not. <laughs> they did, and every step along the way, I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't be like Leonora. Don't do what those boys are doing. Never <laughs> take I money could, from a guy that looks like that. I could and, see your your daughter was in two cats. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all I'm picturing is your daughter and the two cats. I, I do envision cats covered in paste. I don't know why. Well, that's yeah. happened regardless of them seeing the movie or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that no, poor just, dog has got to be so sick because he eats like a yeah. bowl of glue. <laughs> he does. It's, but it's it's just paste. It's just flour and water paste, so it's not that bad. I mean, it's basically bread without yeast. Yeah. Oh, it's probably not still not feeling that great after eating all of it. No. Well, it, it is crying at the end of the movie when Charlie leaves. So. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot to take me out again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what ends up happening, of course, is when Charlie gets home, he tries to make everything well. And he decides, he comes in and he's sort of like singing a song and humming and trying to do stuff with uh, with the family. So he's like, he says, well, let's go to the movies. And Leonora can't go because she's got like 15 guys lined up to take her out. So she she leaves and goes out with, with Kurt Russell as it stands. Uh the boys actually are going to the movies with their next door neighbor's father, who apparently we find out off ca- from from conversation here at the dinner table, uh, takes them places all the time and is a wonderful father to them. Yep. Well, somebody's got to be. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, what the th- that's the thing. Like you said, we're never really given proof that Charlie's a bad father. Those kids are well dressed. They're well fed. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would definitely say he could be somewhat indifferent, right? Like we're given some evidence of that, but there's never like he never spends time with the children in the five minutes that he appears on screen with them before we are told he's a bad father. I, I kind of feel that that may be why Fred McBurry was cast in this role because while Fred McBurry does express emotion, he's also got that ability to, to do really good indifference and – that's pretty much what his character roles for this movie doing, right? Despite that he's trying to make his life better, he never reacts to anything. He never gets excited, busts yeah. a smile, nothing. Except when the bank closes. He was pretty upset about that. He, he, even then, not so much. Yeah, he was pretty upset. He wasn't like the other people like trying, trying to knock it down, but he was upset. I, but I didn't know why, but we'll talk about that. Because <laughs> clearly he had money somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, and then the last piece is at this dinner conversation is his wife, who he says, oh, I'll spend a pleasant evening with you. She's like, no, no, I have to go. I didn't even catch where she was going. She was going to play, play cards. She was the yep. fourth and, at cards. Plain bridge. Got it. Yep. Okay. It was definitely a bridge reference. I agree. 
yeah, I, I just missed that, unfortunately. But yeah, so everybody leaves him alone. So like here he is trying to do something different, trying to change his ways a little bit. And everyone's like, yeah, no. And that's pretty much the entire middle section of the film in a nutshell. Except we make we, we the big boyfriends fight. The fight between Kirk Douglas and Yep. And, which happens off screen. Yeah. Again, yeah. right. <laughs> off, off screen. But we have the two seconds with the guy with them in the carts and then and then they take off. Well that's that's not even two di- those that you're talking two separate nights even, I think. Because before the before he writes his will and because that's that's the scene where he's writing his will, which is much later in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, my point being is that from about the what, what, let's say the 15 minute mark, 15 or so minutes in, until about 20 minutes remaining in the film, is Charlie trying to change and everybody else going, eh. Yay for Charlie. Except the kids did try to listen to him. Because the kids (laughs) did say, wait, he, because the kids say, um, once he finds out and starts getting his fears orders, he's like, you guys have to learn how to earn a buck and get a job. And so the kids did go out and try to find a job. So he did listen a little bit. It, yes. I, I mean, I feel bad for the kids because honestly what happens to them and how they get used and played is not really their fault. Right? Like, they don't really yeah. know what's going on until guys pull guns on them later in the movie. And I know um, we're jumping all yes. over wait, the place. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not. I'm. I'm not defending those kids, because Ryan, your daughter's their age. She would never go drive in a car. That is true. But but in the 30s, there was no age requirements about driving. Right. Those laws came into effect much later. Like uh, in the in, 30s, I would assume. The yeah, because he tells them not to get not to look at get caught by the cops because they're yeah. un, and. The kids assume it's because they're underage, and of course, it's not. That is not the reason at all. Oh, okay. I see. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that at all. And I thought, yeah. like, I thought all those laws are because it's state by state, and I thought some states had really loose laws on driving back then. It may be, but but yeah, the, they they make a reference to it that about that. Yeah, and the dad does put together. He says, you know, with how much money you made in one day, you can't be doing anything that's you know on the up and up. But yes. then it's thrown under the carpet, and they never come back to that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Correct. Like so many things in this movie. Yes. So, you know, the whole the whole middle of the film proceeds with the various storylines with the other characters in the film uh, as Charlie is trying to make things better. So the you know the next we talked about the kids and their job, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but there's also you know Cloris Leachman's character really doesn't have much of a role for the rest of the film, <laughs> right? I mean, like, yeah, not until the scene at the end. She's pretty low key. Yeah. In there. Um, the main plot is the one with the kids, so I know that's skipping around, but we can talk about that. Which is the kid? He has a, a meeting with the children, you know, where he's talking to them. He comes in after work the next day, and you know, they're after the run on the bank. After the run on the bank, that's right. Yeah. 
And they are communicating with next door and telling the other father what a good father he is and singing him a happy Father's Day song right in front of their own father. (laughs) I love that. But by the way, for people that don't understand what was wrong with that tin can phone, it would it would never work because they tied one end around the lamp. And the string has to be taut between the cans because it vibrates the back of the can and it can't do that. Yes, which is why their friend couldn't hear them. And I do like that their friend keeps running over to open the door to talk to them and then run back when they have the tin can thing going on. That's just one example of what's wrong with the scene. (laughs) Because, yeah, these kids are singing a Father's Day song to another dad with their father standing in the room. And I understand that he's, quote, unquote, a bad father, but that's a bad kid. Thoughtless kids. Yeah, like my kids my kids have had moments, I'll admit, where they thought, you know, oh, well, dad's not paying enough attention to me or whatever. But they would have approached it in a far different manner. Or, and have, for that matter. But that's a whole other story. Uh, so the kids ask their father for some money so that they can go buy a Father's Day present for this other father. Again, horrible children. And so he tells them that they need to get a job. You know, go earn your money. And and he's sort of dumbfounded and, and you know, the next day and you know, we're skipping around because these are there's a bunch of different plots that go before, but just sticking with the kids. The next day they go to this junkyard run by this guy named Felix and he he basically tells them to move all the junk out of the way so that he can move the car, the junked out car that's sitting in the middle of the junkyard out. And so they do that. And they start messing around with the car. And meanwhile, Felix is conferring with a guy who was in the other Kurt Russell movies as a gangster and who was playing a gangster here. And they start referring to transferring the stuff, which, as we come to learn, is barrels of liquor. And they basically dupe these children into driving this junked-out car, which looks like it has no place on the road whatsoever. Yep. (laughs) To drive these barrels of liquor over to Sadie who is, best I can tell, a woman of ill repute, who runs a jive joint, an after-hours speakeasy, basically, on the other side of town. Yeah, who also has almost as many lines as Cloris Leachman does in this movie, so... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I have to ask, what is a place like this doing in the middle of of small-town Midwest? It was on the outskirts of town, I got the feeling. I, I... I'd really got got to like it was like not really known about. Like it's the kids it, new, but no one else knew. Yeah, it's just confusing because it's like where do the rest of these people live that work and frequent this place? In the yellow town. Clear. Yeah. Well, and like we really don't even get a whole lot of information about this joint. Uh, it's just sort of this is a place that exists and you should not go there. Yes. That's about the depth of the, of the situation. Because well, another, and and uh, Ray keeps taking Lenora there to dance because it's the only place in town you yes, can dance. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say the reason why we find out about Sadie's is because of Leonora's plot, which is Ray, the Kurt Russell character, takes Leonora there. Uh, one time he takes her there and stays out until 5 a.m., as you know, Charlie is writing his will that, that Todd referenced earlier, and Ray comes in and asks for money. Well, no, they don't ask for money yet. He he does. He says he loves his daughter. Yep. 
Right, that's when he confesses his love. Yeah, and he has a footloose moment because he says it's the only place in town where he can go dancing, and they just want to go dance. (laughs) I don't believe him, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We never actually see them dance, by the way. The whole movie. Yeah, but apparently also another thing that happens off screen is Ed Begley Jr.'s character also has a temper and gives him a black eye. Yes, although unclear if it was, I almost thought it was because he was trying to do something to Leonora. Unclear. Yeah, I, I don't know. But again, it didn't happen on screen, and we can't we can't really know. And that's really one of the fundamental problems with this movie is every one of the major plot points has something that happens off screen that you're like, oh, would have been cool to see that, but never mind. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, all the interesting stuff happens to people, and you go, oh, interesting. Right, like when the like, gangsters show up, apparently they had a shootout with the cops and shot one of them. Yep. Yeah. That also happened <laughs> off screen. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so sticking with the Leonora plot, like, the next thing that happens is they get a phone call from Leonora that she has eloped with Kurt Russell and that they need <laughs> they need money. Yep. Like again, this is not a thing that we see on screen. It's just they get a phone call from Leonora. They didn't. They haven't seen her for a while, and it turns out she's run off and eloped. Yeah, yeah, it, and this is what confuses me the most because Cloris Leachman has the reaction that I would expect, but considering how concerned he's been about her marrying prospects and being her dad, he's very calm about the whole thing. That's what I meant earlier. He like it, it, it's it's he has the weirdest reactions to everything that goes on in this movie. Yeah, to say the least. And you know, like I I know to want to you know Cheryl's movie Happiest Millionaire, right? I like I still like that movie. I know she's a little iffy on it now, but like you look at Fred McMurray in that, and yes, he reacts funny to things, but it's funny, funny, right? And this is not, it lacks that same oomph on the humor, so there is no humor in this at all. Uh, no, there's no, there's no funny to this. And that's the thing is, like, if you look at the poster, they are selling you this as a supernatural comedy. And it's like, the poster is like all these crazy looking heads sticking out of a house and, you know, oversized, you know, bobblehead looking characters and stuff. And it's supposed to be a madcap comedy. And it's not funny. Right, and compared to Blackbird's Ghost, which is kind of sort of sold the same way, right? Which right. is and which is that, not super funny, but it's at least funnier. madcap. Yeah. yeah, it's humorous, right? There's there's literally nothing humorous in this movie that goes on. Nothing. Well, the uh, the when he tries to skate, when the kids run into the lady that that tries to make a deal out, that makes the weird deal out of the penny sale. I, I guess, but you're not well, invested in that lady. That's my problem. Yeah, well, she just she stole that teacup. That she teapot. did. She just she just took it. That's the case when you just yes, call she the did. cops. She yep. conned him, and then when she comes back in to sue him later, that's even more of a con. Yep. And also, like most of the physical comedy in this movie, have to do with Harry Morgan's angel physics, which make no sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so I should say, like, he shows up, Harry Morgan the Angel shows up from time to time throughout the film to give Charlie the update on where things stand with his case. It's sort of like, and I can 
relate to this because I'm dealing with it right now. It's sort of like your insurance agent after you total your car. Every so often they come back to you and say, we may or may not give you money at some time in the indeterminate future. <laughs> That's sort of what he's doing here. He's like, we may or may not kill you at some in- undetermined point in the next few days. And that's my problem. Is this movie really just a few days long, or is it like weeks? It's it's so hard to tell how much time is going on in this. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, because there's a there's a problem with the with the prohibition stuff going on, and Lenora runs off and gets married and forgets her first month's rent. He doesn't get a job, and they come back. That's got to be at least four or five days, at least. You would you would assume he would not run back after they have given him a month's rent. Yeah, right. They might have at least looked for another job while they were out there. It's just weirdness. Yeah. Yeah, and yet another thing that happens off screen, all the drama with uh, with Kurt Russell's character getting the job and not getting the job because it went to somebody's son or someone's nephew or something. Right. Why would we, the viewer, care then? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, w- I would raise the point that I actually did not care. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care about Leonora or Kurt Russell other than telling my daughter that Leonora was a horrible role model. Yes. And and I have a question. Um, why did Harry Morgan reenact that song as the frog from the WB? I don't know, but that was the most glorious moment of the entire film. It was. Play, playing a, t- a tennis racket as a banjo was very Because he was trying funny. to remember who he was. That's why. It was, it was his – that was the way to catch who he was. Yeah, apparently he was a crazy roving man who sang. No, he was Michigan J. Frog. <laughs> you never know. It's hard to say who sang the song better. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would go with Harry Morgan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway the main thrust of the film for the for the like the third act is the gangster plot which as you may have noticed as we've talked through the first and second acts uh is nearly non-existent <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just you, sort of comes about no, towards the you, end. you get a hint when they're at Felix's um the the one guy, the bad guy, Bugsy, whatever his name is. It's just Bugs. It's I'll, just Bugs. I'll go Bugsy. Um says something to him about the mobsters moving into town and then the line gets dropped literally dropped and then um and then like scenes later the mobster has moved into moved into the felix's garage garage yes. yeah it's it's a poor attempt at foreshadowing is what it is <laughs> but it's yeah. a very it's a very bad drop i mean you had to catch that or you missed it yeah yeah so what ends up happening is, like Cheryl said, the, the gangster moves into Felix's garage, and they are on the run. I assume these are Chicago gangsters who are hiding out in the suburbs. This is yes. what I have assumed, because Chicago was a huge mob town back during these days. And they basically kidnap, he and Bugs, kidnap the two boys to drive them out of town in order to hide, right? Like, they're hiding in the back seat, the boys are driving. This made no sense to me. Why wouldn't you just drive out of town? But whatever. But before we continue this, we should discuss the fact that Charlie goes to Sadie's, ill repeat yes. house, and gets <laughs> yes, arrested because it's important and it feeds into this plot. <laughs> yeah, he goes after Leonora before the whole eloping thing uh, and got arrested in a raid. 
yes. on Sadie's. So yeah. you're correct. Yeah. Which leads to a follow-up in that he goes out to the garage to find the boys, sees them being kidnapped, steals the gangster's abandoned car, which they had left because it was, you know, a hot car or something like that. You know, like they knew they knew it was their car, that kind of a thing. And he goes after them, and this is the car chase scene, which is probably, what, like 10 minutes of this hour and a half movie? At least. It was a long car chase, but it's actually like, like you said, like the singing is a great part in the movie. This is the other great part in the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. It's it's really good because it's like it, things are happening after the first hour or so of the film. You're like, oh, wow. I think this is the other part that I had a really tough time suspending my disbelief that this was the 1930s because I kept thinking, wow, these are really nice roads. Like, for a small Midwestern town for this time True. period. Nice roads, nice houses for the Depression, you know. It looks like the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, there's no, like... <laughs> it, it, it's very... If it is truly the Depression, it's very di- differently depicted than it normally is. Yeah. It's not that depressing. No. <laughs> kind of lighthearted. Yeah. <laughs> it's so... This car chase goes on and on and on. The gangsters manage to get away, and Charlie gets picked up by the cops because he actually ends up, like, driving into a river, basically. This is his second pickup by the cops. Right, exactly. The second one after Sadie's. They had already picked him up um, as well and warned him about the kids being kids driving. Oh, sorry, they did call him thinking that it was his kids that are driving, which, of course, it was, but he's like, well, where'd they get the car? And the cop's like, oh, yeah, good point. Never mind. (laughs) Right. But they pick him up because they caught him at Sadie's and then they catch him here and they're like, ah, you're the gangster, Charlie. Which I'm like, that's not the conclusion I would have come to, but okay. Charlie, guy that we've known for so long and trust and talk to like we're buddies. Exactly. Hang out at the lodge with, because that's like mentioned, like they're lodge brothers, like all this stuff is dropped and it's like, but you never see any of this stuff. Right. And so... He goes to jail, and while he is in jail, Roy the angel appears and says, all right, we think we've got it all worked out. You're dying today. Uh, But, of course, the gangsters still have his boys, so Charlie at this point is more concerned about his sons. At least that's what you're supposed to believe. I did not get that from the performance. Yes, but the sergeant does let him out of prison because of it. Correct. They they sort it all out, let him out of prison, and say, okay, we gotta, we'll go find the boys. Charlie goes home. It turns out the gangsters actually went to his house as well to hide out because everybody, you know, now they've been through a car chase, that wasn't going to be good. And so the gangsters are in his home and upstairs, and he, so when he walks in, one of the boys, the younger boy, is there, and the gangsters come downstairs with the other one, sort of corner the whole family Christmas vacation style. <laughs> The family's in the living room and the guy with the gun standing outside. And at the last minute, you know, Charlie's trying to get away or trying to trying to figure it out. There's a fight and Charlie gets shot. But for whatever reason, he does not get injured. We don't know why. Uh, And. uh, Pete, the guy who we haven't talked about, the George Lindsay character who's been working on the house, shows up at the last minute to distract the gangster and there's a fight between Kurt Russell's character, Charlie, the gangsters, and everybody, and they managed to... Except for Pete. He did not... He didn't care. Pete did not... Yeah, Pete did not... <laughs> it's true. 
and and they manage to subdue the gangsters uh, and capture the criminals, and everybody turns out happy, hearty, and hale, except for Charlie, who still thinks he's going to die. Well, but now, but they also get a five thousand dollar reward. Pete yes. pays back the money he borrowed plus interest, and the bank opens and lets them have their money back too. Right. Yeah, and and a representative of the town actually gives him. Hey, here's your hotel reservation. Here's your tickets for the World's Fair. Because he just happens to show up at that moment to give them these things. It's very confusing. It all happens at once. You're like, oh, is this like the end? No, no, no. Not My problem was that this was the banker that the whole town was revolting against. And suddenly he's like the town spokesman? Yep. It's like, did you not realize this was the guy that said he stole your money? Like... Three days ago. How yep. is this guy the town spokesman? Well, he didn't steal the money. The bank told him not to open the doors. No, he, didn't he's, the bank. he was he had assured Charlie to go into bonds. I I know they said that, but also though he also says that he just runs the bank that the that the actual bank told him not to open the doors because they have no money. I don't know. I still think something's fishy there. I, yeah. It would be this movie. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. this whole like metal ceremony scene is just so forced and doesn't make any sort of sense. At the end, Charlie, you know, with everything settled, says, you know, goodbye to his family, starts driving away, uh says he's got to go fix something up at the store or whatever. I can't remember what excuse it is that he gives. Uh and he's driving off and Roy, the angel appears in the car and says, "Turns out you're going to live." That whole bullet that got shot at you, I took care of that. That was it. You were supposed to die right there. I took care of it. Go on about your business. Not you know what die. subplot we also forgot? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the psych, the the him seeing the, the him admitting to Leonora that he had seen seen the angel. Yep, Roy, and then the Leonora sending him. To a doctor who then sent, who's then recommending he go to a psychiatrist. Yes, but also yep. stops the sale of his store, which is actually the important thing that happens in that plot. Yes, but still, it was a crazy. Plot. I'm not sure they needed that plot. I, I think what they needed to do was not was not write all these little things, throw them down, and then pick them up and go. This is the order they'll be in. That would probably be you. <laughs> Good idea, yeah. I, I just felt like there were there were story pieces there, but somebody forgot to actually fill in the blanks between the plotting. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, we're forgetting about the very last scene of the movie when they're driving to the state fair. Yeah, and, I hadn't gotten uh, to that yet, but yeah. Third ending, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're driving to the fair, and uh, and he just kind of flies over their car, and then, like, Fred McMurray's just kind of waving goodbye to him. And when the, the, he's asked, like, you know, who are you waving to? He says, oh, I'm just waving goodbye to Summer. You know, yeah. like you do. <laughs> well, it's also that Nettie's hat blows off and he, he brings Nettie's hat back. And none of them yes. even quite, like, they're all like, wow, I never saw a hat do that before. And they're like, all right, got the hat, moving on. <laughs> and then the, uh, the intro song plays again at the end and that's it. 
Which, again, I have to say, and I said this to you guys before, I'm not sure we recorded it, but I was kind of disappointed there wasn't, like, a sitcom opening sort of theme song, like, Charlie and the Angel. Like, I, I was like hoping the for that. Uncle? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I kind of feel, too, that this would have been a... Um, a good movie to have the police squad type ending where everybody just stopped moving, but the credits started to roll. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> True. This also would have made like a good like serial, like Merlin Jones type of serial. Had been like a story. I, I think it would have been better. Had this right? Had I, this been Tommy Kirk and Annette? This would have been much better. <laughs> I, I think you say it would have been good as a serial. I think it would have been better as a breakfast cereal than as a movie. <laughs> no, because the milk was soggy. Remember we had that kind of uh, good point. Good point. All right, uh, so takeaways from Charlie and the Angel. Uh, let's 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 rate this because I don't know that there's much else to say about it, quite honestly. Uh, Cheryl, I'm gonna let you go first this time. Uh, I've been racking my brain on this one <laughs> because I know what I'm know what I'm giving the next one. I think I'm going with one and a half. I I really I. I, I did like the movie. I probably wouldn't ever watch it again. Maybe if it was on, like, TCM, the, the the Disney Hour, and they were showing it, I would maybe record it and see it again. But, I mean, I wouldn't pay for it. Definitely not. No. I felt like they picked every type of genre and, and, and felt what would stick. I think yeah. I used the wrong line, but... You know no, I know, I know what you mean. Like they, they took a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and just tried to mash it together to make something good. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right, Todd. What about you? <sighs> so you know, it's hard when you see a, a star-studded movie like this that has a lot of really you know good actors in it, and you have to sit through something like this and go, why did they just all decide to take a paycheck? I, it's how I feel. I, I don't feel yeah. this is more than a one-star movie. I don't disagree with you. I was going to give it one star as well. Uh, I mean, I think we've we've all said what we think of it, uh, so no need to, to, to hash that out on why I'm in line with you guys. What about you, Rachel? Yeah, I'm going to give this. I'm going to give this one and a quarter star, and that quarter star is for the scene with Ed Bagley Jr. and for his. A sweater and bow tie combo, and just the fact of the realization that that is Ed Bagley Jr. in that part. Um, but yeah, other than that, there's just nothing to recommend about this movie. I'm not going to watch it again. I'm not going to recommend really that anybody uh, seek it out. Yes. Uh, so we're all in agreement that uh, Charlie and the Angel is not something that that you guys should seek out and. And find, but it's a movie, and Disney made it, and so we talked about it, and we have fulfilled that obligation that we have made to you, our fine listeners. <laughs> so uh, that's what we think of the movie. Uh, go let us know what you guys think if you are unlucky enough to watch the movie before you listen to the podcast. Uh, you can do that on our show notes on DisneyFilmProject.com. You can do it on Facebook at Disney Film we don't Project. Give refunds. I'm no, 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 we don't. No yes, refunds. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> Uh, at Diz Film Project on Twitter. And of course, you can always email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening to the show. If you don't mind, please go and leave a review or a rating on iTunes. And of course, if you, if you don't listen on iTunes, that's perfectly fine. You can still leave a review. Uh, but if you listen on Stitcher or on Diz Dad's Radio, you can find the show there. We appreciate that as well. We appreciate those folks for uh, putting the show out there. 
All right. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. For Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon. Oh, those earthly things just fade away. I went with a boy who was cute once. I married him. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. It's a raid. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs>